I'm the senior pastor here at Live Oak, and glad you're here today. We started a new series last week called Talking to Myself, and I asked people to admit how many of you talked to yourself. Most of you were honest and said, yeah, either out loud or in private or note to self, or at some point, I talked to myself. And what I tried to convince you of, more of you do it than you think. I think all of us do it because we all have that inner voice that's constantly saying something to us. I think we do it more than we think, and it matters more than we know. And the whole idea of this series is we want to talk about this idea of what are we saying to ourselves. And one of the questions we asked is, could a key to a new year and a new you be how you talk to you? What are you telling yourself on a regular basis? It matters. It makes a difference. And as we talk about this idea of self-talk, it's not a series about the power of positive thinking. It's not what this series is about. This is a series that's about the importance of truthful thinking to making sure what you're telling yourself is actually true and helpful and beneficial. And it's really about changing the inner conversations that we tell ourselves when we tell ourselves either truth or lies. And last week, I just had this one goal for, the, uh, for that week is I want us to be aware that it's going on, that you have a self-voice, you have an inner conversation that's going on. I want you to pay attention to your inner voice. So I'd keep standing by that. Please keep doing that. Eavesdrop on yourself. Fact check yourself. Like, I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart. Like, anytime anybody tells me anything, I'm like, I don't know. I'll fact check them. I'll fact check you. I don't fact check me. I take myself as like, eh, I can be trusted. No. And it, fact check me all you want, but I need you to know, I'm trying to be better about that myself. You probably do that with others more than you do with yourself. How are you doing at truth-telling to yourself, and what is your inner voice telling you? The bottom line for that last week in this series is this. Make sure you're filling your life with truth, or your self-talk will tell you lies. And it will take you to some crazy places. Places where you kind of find yourself going, how did I end up here? Well, it probably goes back to, at some point, there was a decision or a relationship or something going on, and you told yourself something that you took as truth, you didn't fact-check yourself, and it took you to a weird place. Because really what this is, it's a battle for your mind, a spiritual battle that matters. Paul says this in Romans 2. He he writes to us about this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. All of us, every single day, are either being conformed to the pattern of this world or being transformed by God. You will either be conformed or be transformed. It's always happening around you more than you know, and it matters more than you know. It happens more than you think. And if you can be aware that right now, everything that's going on in your life is either squeezing you into a pattern of the world or it's shaping you into the image and the pattern, the character of Jesus. One of those two things is happening all the time. And so Paul warns you, he goes, don't be conformed. Be transformed. We, love in a wor- we live in a world that is constantly shaping us through media, social media, relationships, or even, it happens internally, our heart's desires, our hopes, our dreams, our wants, is always shaping us into a certain pattern and leading us in a certain direction. 
But Paul says, but be transformed. That phrase, be transformed, just grammatically, is called a passive imperative. Passive imperative. Passive, it's something that happens to you. I got wet, I got hurt, I got sick. Something that happened to me. Imperative, it's something you do. I went to the store. I hit somebody. I went somewhere. I ran. Those are imperatives. This is both a passive imperative. It's something that happens to you, but it's also something you do. God does it, but it requires your participation. It's passive imperative. Be transformed. You can't do it without God, and he will wait for you to participate. Be transformed. And this is how, by the renewing of your mind, God gave you and gifted you a creative and powerful mind that he gave you to be used in a way that will be transforming you into his image, or it's something that can be used depending on what it's fed, that conforms you into a pattern of something else. And what we need is a new way of thinking, a new brain, a new mind that is centered on Christ, where he transforms us and he shapes us, and the battle happens internally in what the Bible would call our hearts and minds, the center of who we are. And it says when that happens, when we have a renewed mind, here's the promise, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. A lot of times in life, we find ourselves at a crossroads or with a decision or with some opportunity and we're like, I'm just not sure what God wants me to do. I hope if you're a Christ follower, you find yourself in that place where I don't know what God wants me to do. Anytime you find yourself saying, I don't know what to do next, the first place you should start, even before you're thinking about what you want to do, I would encourage you, what does God want me to do? And if that ever seems, seems fuzzy, back up and make sure your mind is being renewed and your life is being transformed by Jesus. Because the promise is when that's happening, the fog kind of clears and the path becomes clear about what's next. And sometimes it takes you in a surprising direction that's not always intuitive, that's not always easy, but it is always good, pleasing, and perfect. If I told you at the end of 2019, you're going to look back on your year and go, boy, the plans that God had for me this year were good, pleasing, and perfect. You would sign up for that. Well, he says the way you experience that is you follow God's will, his plan for your life, and you make sure your mind is being renewed as you are being transformed by God. There's a progression here. Can't you just tell me what to do next? Well, it's not about what you do, it's who you are. Who you are in Christ and who he's shaping you and, sh- and, and transforming you to become. The problem is a lot of times when I look at his will, on the front side of it, it doesn't always look good. It looks hard. It looks uncomfortable. It doesn't always look pleasing to where I am right now and I look at it and go, well, I don't want to go that way. And it doesn't always seem perfect because we live in an imperfect world. And we look at that and go, well, clearly his plan isn't perfect because of where I am now. Don't think about where you are now. Think about where you're going to be in the future. And from this, what I want you to do is think about how we work with a GPS. Let's take some lessons from a GPS system. Nowadays, we don't use maps when we travel. Maybe some of you do. Kicking it old school. That's great. Uh, most of us use our phones or something like that where, like, let's say... 
since 1989, when I was a sophomore at Texas Tech, I have driven back and forth to the same place in Dallas more times than I can count. My parents have lived in the same house since I was three, uh, and I'm 49, so it's been a while. And in 1989, I started driving to Lubbock and back, and then I was driving from Lubbock to Dallas to visit parents on occasions, and, and it's just gone back and forth. I can drive there without asking for directions. But the next time I go, I will put in Dallas, specifically, thir- I'm not going to give the address, my parents' address. <laughs> I don't know why I'd be afraid of that. I'm not sure. I'm a conspiracy theorist, though, so again. Um, <laughs> gosh, I'm weird. Where was I going with that? Oh, okay, so I would put in their address, 13, no, I, I would put in their address. Golly, I'm going to live here. I would type in their address, and it would give me some options. So that's the end destination. That's where I want to end up. I'm in Lubbock. I want to end up there. So I would say it would give me some options. Do you want the shortest route or the quickest route? It's not always the same thing. Do you want uh, a road with tolls or no tolls? Well, in Dallas, that's not always an option. Do you want the scenic route or the quickest route? And if you do that, Siri will say, Siri will say there is no scenic route between here and Dallas. Um, it can give you options. Do you want to stop for lunch or gas anywhere? And if so, where? As I drive to Dallas, a lot of times I make the cho- choice, especially coming from Dallas, to stop at what God has deemed as the greatest fast food Mexican uh, food chain on the planet, Taco Bueno. You Taco Villa Villa people, just just give it a rest. I've got the mic right now. So Taco Bueno is awesome. I love it, and I miss it. It's part of my childhood. It's part of my youth. And it's not part of my present, because in Lubbock, they don't exist here anymore. So I decide, hey, I want to stop at Taco Bueno between here and my end destination of Dallas. So I type that in. Well, I can't go 114, because there's not one that way. But there is if I go through Abilene. So it says recalculate, and then it says this is your route. And then what's great is about as you're going on the way, so you put in those kind of statements like quickest route, no tolls, taco bueno, all the things that are important and godly, and you make those points along the way, then, you, then it says, here's the fastest route. But as you're going that way, it might say, uh-oh, for some reason, somebody decided to do construction on the Friday before a holiday on a highly trafficked road, recalculating. Do you want, excuse me, do you want to ch- save 15 minutes by going this way? Or there's a wreck ahead. Do you want to take an alternate route? And it kind of gets you to your end destination based on the, the value statements that you place in. I want to get there quickly, without paying tolls, with as much taco bueno as possible. Those are my value statements. That's my end de- destination. And it gets me there. We do it better when we travel than how we live. We live based on what's right in front of us now and what I want now. We don't think about the end destination of where do I want to be at the end of this journey. That's why so many resolutions fail. That's why so many goals fail. That's why so many lives kind of find themselves looking back with regret going, man, I really thought I'd be someplace different, but yet we're hugely in debt. I'm out of shape. My family's in shambles, and my faith is really weak. Huh, I wonder why that is. Well, it's probably because we think regret is about do it now because you never guaranteed tomorrow, so live without regret. No, regret is when you look back in your life and you say, boy, I wish I had. Or you look back in your life and say, I'm glad I did. 
And if you live your life based on what the end result is and the value statements of what matters between here and there, you find yourself making different choices rather than if you go, hey, I'm going to set out for Dallas and I'm going to go with whatever looks best. Boy, it's kind of stormy that way, but it's, cl- it's, it's nice and clear that way. I'm going to go to Dallas by going that way. Then you find yourself in Odessa rather than Dallas and nobody wants that, right? <laughs> Sorry, it's a shot, shot at Mark Porter. He's from Odessa. No offense against Odessa. You've suffered through enough. Um, we're not recording the service, right? Okay, good. Um, So here's the deal. If you could live today based on future you, not current you, you're going to make different choices. Now, when I pictured future me when I was little, I pictured a lot more jetpacks and flying cars, and that just doesn't exist. We don't live in a world with jetpacks yet. Flying cars, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And certainly by now, we should have the technology to have lightsabers. But we don't have that either. But that's what I thought about future me. It was always about technology and stuff like that. I grew up with the Jetsons, this cartoon called the Jetsons, and everything was automated and futuristic. When I think about future me, I never thought about my character as much as I probably should have, as much as I should now. I don't think as much about who I want to be, more importantly, who God wants me to be. And then I wonder why I'm not getting from here to there quicker or more effectively, and I wonder kind of where I am now or who I'm becoming now. So here's the question that's that's hugely helpful. This could be a key question and a key player in your decision-making today and who you become in the future. What would future you tell current you about the choices you are making today? Like at the end of the year, if you want to be out of debt, future you needs to be showing up at the register with you and saying, I thought we wanted to be out of debt. Please make choices based on where we want to be, not with what we want to buy. And what's scary now is you can buy things from your phone right now in the service, and I'm sorry if I'm tempting you, and that's your deal, but that's the thing. We need future you saying, don't click on that, don't buy that. Remember, we want to do that. We want to be here. Future you needs to speak to current you to help you make choices today. With spending with relationships, with internet browsing, with boredom, with sexuality, with work, with school, with homework, with our taxes, with everything. Future you needs to have more of a voice. What would future you tell current you about the choices you're making today and make decisions now for what you want then, not what you want now? Your inner voice needs to listen more to future you. But current you has a very persuasive voice. And we make a turn because it's what seems best at the time, not what seems best in the long run. And then we wonder why we end up where we are. And again, regret, we think of regret as like, do it or you'll regret it, but we assign it to the wrong things. One day you will look back on your life and either be glad you did or wish you had Make decisions with that in mind. Do something that your future self will thank you for and be proud of and moves you in the direction of who you want to be and who God wants you to be. And that really is the key question. Who does God want you to be? Because that should inform what we're doing, saying, 
buying, dating, everything now, all of those things should be informed by who we want to be. Who does God want us to be? It needs to be more future-minded. You see a great example of this in the Old Testament. Um, But actually, we're going to read a passage in the New Testament. There's a guy named Moses. Moses is a very famous figure. If you don't know who he is, he was the guy that led the slaves out of Egypt. That never would have happened if something hadn't happened in 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 his birth, if his parents hadn't intervened. See, they grew up in Egypt, even though they were Israelites. And they were slaves, slaves, were, were, were Israelites in Egypt, and they were there, and they were growing in number, and Pharaoh got threatened and realized, I can do the math. It makes us more money if we have these slaves building our stuff for us and doing our work for us, but if they get too many, they can overpower us and we'll lose everything. So he had to kind of manage, to manage his profits, he had to manage the people, and he had this idea that maybe it's best for people if when an Israelite boy is born, we terminate them. Somehow it seemed like a good idea to terminate the life of a child. So he told the midwives, if you see an Israelite boy that's born, I need you to kill them. Well, they didn't do it. As a matter of fact, because they stood up for these defenseless babies, God rewarded them and blessed them, these midwives. But Pharaoh comes and asks him, he goes, hey, um, I thought you got the memo. We're going to terminate all Israelite boys. They go, well, Israelite women give birth real fast. They just, we we just can't get there in time. And he doesn't buy it. So he says, let me take care of this. And he sends people out to kill the Israelite boys. It's unthinkable. Moses' parents had just given birth and they go, we can't do this. We've got to save our boy. So what they do is they take him to a place that's highly trafficked, a river, because it's Egypt, very hot, very humid, people, waters are life source, it's where people gather. So they take their baby and they put him in this basket and they set him kind of on the banks of the river and go back and they have somebody watching, make sure he's okay. Eventually somebody comes and they pick up the baby and they think, yes, but it's Pharaoh's daughter. No, the one who gave the order to kill the boys, what's he gonna do? And she says, I can't kill this little boy. I'm gonna take him home and raise him as my own. She makes arrangements through a process. Eventually, he comes to live in her house. So Moses, who should have been killed because of an order of Pharaoh, is growing up in Pharaoh's house. And one day, as he's growing up with all the good stuff that comes from being adopted into the family of Pharaoh, he gets all the privilege that's associated with it. One day, he's walking along and he knows who he is and he sees an Israelite slave being mistreated by an Egyptian, and he loses it. And he doesn't handle it well, but it does something in him that day. And he's faced with a choice. Who am I? How am I going to live? Looking forward, what would future me say to current me about the choices I'm making today? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, And again, all of these are faith looking forward, believing there's a future promise from God and the person of God that's looking back, speaking into our present, that changes the choices we make. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
So let's assume it's like he's making New Year's resolutions that year and he makes some resolutions. These were his resolutions. These were his forward thinking. This is gonna inform present acting, present deciding self. He makes four of them. The first one is this. And this is what we need to choose. To choose to be who God wants you to be. That's what he did. He chose to be who God wanted him to be. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That had a lot of perks. He could have gotten out of a lot of things. He could have gotten a lot of things. Things would have been better, smoother, easier. But when he saw what was going on to his people and realized there's a calling on his life to not just do something, but to be someone, he had to choose differently. And this is about identity. Am I going to be who the world conforms me to be? Who the world applauds? What the world says is right? What the world says is the path? Am I going to listen to that and be shaped by that? Or will I listen to God and say, God, who do you want me to be? And let that transform me as he transformed me to be that person. Who, Who am I? And who does God want me to be? He refused. You have to say no to something that's hard to live out your identity in Christ sometimes. Resolution two is this. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. He aligned himself with people who were being mistreated rather than align himself with the people who had it pretty nice. In the moment, if he'd followed his heart, choose the palace, man. That's the place. Why would you choose to be mistreated? Because he chose short-term pain because he believed there was long-term gain. He was looking forward and believed there's something down the road that's a better payoff than what's paying off now. Choose short-term pain for long-term gain. Your heart never leans into pain. It pulls back from it. If you feel like you're drowning in life, you'll grab the first thing that floats. If you feel like you're in a dark place, you look for the first thing that looks like it might be light. That's why you've got to have that GPS of, no, this is who God called me to be. These are the values along the way that will define my journey. I will not change my course based on what's in front of me. I will change it based on who God says he's called me to be and his promise to be with me every step of the way. Why would you choose that? Why would you choose to be mistreated? Why would you choose short-term pain? Well, he tells us why in verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead, he was looking forward, future thinking to his reward. So along the way, he put greater value. He regarded and he put value on what God valued, not what the world valued. At some point, you have to choose Whose values am I going to follow? People will put values in your life of this is what matters. This is what's important. And they're very persuasive. Your own voice at times will be speaking to you saying, this is what matters. This is what's important. If God does not have the the loudest voice in your life, your values will seem good, but you will end up lost. Choose God's values, not the world's values. Soren Uh, Basically what he did is he clarified in his life what mattered most. That's a value. He assigned a value to something. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher who tells a story about this robbery that happened in a jewelry store. And they broke in, and what they did is they didn't take anything out. 
Instead, what they did is they took all the price tags and they switched them. And the cheapest of jewelry, they, the cheap stuff, they put the expensive price tags. And on the expensive jewelry, they put the cheap price tags. So the next day when people came in and started doing business, people were paying great amount of money and getting worthless pieces of glass. And some people were coming in and just giving them pennies on the dollar and getting priceless jewels. And he basically, Soren Kierkegaard tells this story of, this is what's happening in our world. Somebody else has been putting up the price tags. And they're assigning value to things that God would say, no, you think you're getting a bargain. You think you're making a great purchase. But the wrong person has the pricing gun. The wrong person has the pen and the price tag. And they're assigning value to things. And it's all off. What you value deeply matters. So let me ask you this question. What matters most in your life? To get specific, what are the top three or four values in your life? Can you easily name in in statements what matters most in your life? Because if you have a hard time naming it, you probably haven't clarified it. So clarify those. List them out. Some examples might be, you know, having integrity. Integrity means I'm the same person when people are around or when people aren't around. I'm consistent. That's what integrity means. If you see an apple and you bite into an apple, you expect it to be an apple. It has integrity. But all of a sudden, if you bite into an apple, there's a game sometimes I remember playing where like you would take a a caramel apple, but one of them you'd make an onion. And so people would bite in and they would get an onion. It didn't have integrity. They said it's a caramel apple, but no, it was a caramel onion. Ever craved those? Somebody said, yes, we'll pray for you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's what it's come to in your life. But here's the deal. Integrity means you're saying anything. If you say that's my value, that's a core value of my life. Integrity matters. Well, who are you when no one's looking? Because sometimes Patrick Lencioni in his book, The Advantage, talks about companies have this all the time. It's a business book. But he says companies have values. They say it matters, it matters. But sometimes it's just an aspirational value. This is where, who I wish we were, but actually we're this. We're not talking about aspirational values. We're talking about the things, and he says this, if, if your values don't cause you some kind of pain or loss at some point, it doesn't cost you something, it's really not a value. At some point, you're willing to suffer for that value. That's what Moses was willing to do. I'll choose to be mistreated because I'm going to place a greater value on what God thinks and a greater value on the value of those people who are being mistreated rather than the value of my comfort. Because if he had valued his own self-comfort, he'd be living in the palace. What are your values? Sometimes it's humility. Well, is it? Sometimes it's, it's I, want, I want to be a servant. I want to serve others. I want to love others. Maybe it's love. Okay, well, when no one's, when, when, just given your last week, how did you do it loving others when it cost you something? Is that a core value? Or is love an emotion that I feel good about you, so I'll love you, but I don't feel good about you, so I won't love you? Like, like that's not a core value. What are your core values? Maybe it's faithfulness. Like that was one of his because by faith is what drove all this. He had a faith in God and God's plan that informed his current situation. What is it for you? Your core values will inform how you think, how you relate, 
how you date, how you speak, what you purchase. It informs everything. If you don't know what your values are, clarify them. List them out. And the reason he did this is he, it says because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking forward. And there's that fourth resolution. Live this day with that day in mind. He believed there was a day in the, forward, in the future, looking forward, that that day was more important than today. Regret tells us, hey, live for this day because you're never guaranteed another. Well, but statistically, most of us will be around tomorrow. So I'm not going to empty my bank account today because tomorrow I got bills to pay. And I want to be a good manager of what I have now because I want to be around for a long time, but I don't want to leave regret on the table. Somehow we think regret is going for whatever seems great now. Regret is really more future-based of looking back and saying, what will matter then at the end of my life, whether it's tomorrow or 20 years from now, 50 years from now? What is, what's going to matter on that day? But even then, what he, his reward, he believed part of God's plan is one day at the end of his life, he would stand before God and God would say, how did this life that I gave you, how did it go? What did you do with what I gave you? I assigned some prices to things, Moses, some values to things. Did you live according to the values that I placed or the values the world placed or the values that you placed? He believed that one day he would stand before God and have a conversation about his life. The Bible says we're all going to do that. The same book of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 9, it says this. Just as people are destined to die once, that's part of our, our, the plan that's going to happen for all of us. And after that, last day of your life is not the last day of your life. After that, to face judgment. That's a terrifying verse if it doesn't continue. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So it's not a question. How you live this life isn't a matter of do you get in the kingdom or do you not? Is God going to drop the hammer or not? Jesus, by his grace and mercy, has made salvation based on what he's done, not what, what you've done. But what happens is we a lot of times think, well, then it's boys gone wild now. It's all bets are off. It's follow your heart. Because these days don't matter because that day's taken care of. But what he says is, no, that day matters because I've given you an opportunity to be my representative to the world. Because I've placed a value on every single life in this world. And how you live impacts others and it matters. And if you don't live for Christ now, you're wasting the opportunity. You're missing God's chance to impact their lives, and you're taking the price tag and say, tomorrow doesn't matter because I'm good to go. And you're switching the price tags on what tomorrow matters. If you're a child of God, you're living for your heavenly father, not because you're afraid he's not going to let you in the family. You're in. Go be his family to the world. But what happens, we talk about future self, how it speaks into our life. Well, so does used to be self. Used to be self speaks into our life. And it kind of says, hey, make a left when we should make a right. Click on that when we know we shouldn't. Purchase that when we know it's not the best path for us. Choose this as your identity when you know that's not who God created you to be. There's all these ways that, few, that, that used to be self doesn't listen to going to be one day self. 
Because God has transformed you to, to be the conformed to the image of son. That's what Romans 12, uh, Romans 8, 29 says. That's who God is using everything to make you more like him. The me who God created you to be, who he's transformed you to be, you need to listen to that, not to who you used to be. But it's a battle. Paul talks about it in Romans uh, 8. Those who live according to the flesh, let me say this, if you have a Bible and you're reading it and it says, according to the sinful nature, that's not the right translation of that word. As a matter of fact, the people who originally translated that in the NIV in 1984, based on the Greek word sarx, they translated it to uh, sinful nature. And that's really not what it means. See, the old is past, the new has come. That's what Jesus has done for you. Your sinful nature is nailed to the cross. Here's the problem. This flesh, this thing we live in, not just flesh and bones, but mind, in the center of your will, it lived with the old self for a while. And the old self has some habits. And so actually, I would even encourage you, where if you ever read that and it says sinful nature, nature, cross it out and write the word flesh. That's what the NIV translators did in 2011. They said, you know what? We missed it on that word. That doesn't give the right representation because it minimizes what Jesus has done for us and the power of his salvation. It focuses more on who we were, not who we're becoming. But if Christ is in us, the old is gone, the new has come. But if you live according to who you used to be, the habits and the desires of following your heart have their minds set on what the flesh desires because the heart wants what the heart wants. You can't trust your inner voice if it's listening to who you used to be apart from Christ. It needs to listen to who you are in Christ even though you're still living in the reality. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit of God have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Where is your mindset? Where's your head these days? Are you focused on who God is transforming you to become or who you used to be or just what feels right? Like I said, if you make turns based on what feels right, you might be heading to Dallas, but you'll end up in Odessa. And nobody wants that. So here's the deal. The mind governed, ruled, placed in charge of, who's in charge of your thoughts, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. If I told you New Year's Eve of 2019, you're going to look back and say, hey, what two words describe 2019 for you? Life and peace. Then put God in charge of your life. Put him in charge of your head, your mind. Actually, take it a step further. This is what the Apostle Paul says to say. If you want to do that, here's how you put God in charge. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Is that you? Have you crucified your old self? And are you living out of your new self of who God's transforming you to become? Because Christ is living in you. He does it, but it requires your participation. Is this true of you? The life I now live today in the body, I live by faith looking forward in the Son of God who loved me, past tense, and gave himself for me. He gave himself for you and to you. Is that who's in charge of your life? Is that who you listen to when you're thinking about who am I? What are my plans? Are you following your feelings? Or are you following Christ? Because they won't always and they don't, often don't take you to the same end destination. But on the front side of it, looking at it, well, this way looks a lot easier. This way looks better. This is what I want. This is who I am. No, don't listen to that. Listen to who God says you are and make sure that that's the loudest voice in your life. Would future you, that you, 
have something to say about current you and the choices you're making today. Here's three things I want you to do. First thing is this, be crucified. Crucify yourself. Die to self. Let the old self be gone. And don't, it, it'll still have things to say. But don't listen to that. Listen to future you, who God is creating you to be. And then take a minute and say, okay, what are the three things that I value most? Value statements, integrity, love, truth, faithfulness, being a servant, excellence. Like, what is it? Because those three things matter along the journey. Do they line up of getting you from here to there of who God says he created you to be and he's called you to be? His unique plan for your life and his general plan for all of us. Does it line up with those and does it move you in that direction? Clarify your values. And then I want you to write a letter. Write a letter from future you to current you. The future you, who you think God wants you to be. End of the year, end of your life, whichever you choose. And make dear current me, Don't listen to what they say anymore. That's not who you are. That's who you were. Signed, future you. Dear current me, it's worth the pain to go the hard way. It's not worth the pain to go the easy way. Dear dear current me, Say yes to what you know is right, even though you'd have more friends. You'd get that promotion. It would go better if you just said no. Sometimes there are places where we just, we come to this fork in the road and it just feels like this is the right way. That's the wrong GPS. Because somebody has switched the price tags and we've picked things up and it goes, this is a great buy. And in the end, we find ourselves not just in debt financially, we find ourselves in debt and morally bankrupt and lost. And our image has been squeezed from that of our creator and shaped into the image of the world. And we find ourselves lost and we don't even know it. What would future you, that you that God's created you to be, what would he have to say? What would she have to say to current you but the choices you're making today? And have you clarified, this is who I know God wants me to be. This is the end goal. And I'll make choices today based on that. So let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a hard thing for us. Because sometimes the easy way and the shortest way isn't always the way that ends up being the shortest. We live in a world of shortcuts. We live for the approval of the wrong people. We listen to the wrong voices. And we recognize that a lot of times we made a purchase in life by our choices and what we value and what we thought was was best for us. But the price tags have been switched. God, I pray that you would be the loudest voice in our life and you would speak with clarity about who you've called us to be, who you've created us to be. And as we make those choices that are very difficult, especially ones based on our identity, based on our past, based on our future. Choices that we're used to making in the moment based on emotion. I pray you'd give us the courage to follow you rather than follow our heart. You would change us to be more like you. 
strengthen us along the way. And thanks for your promise not to just be at the end of our life waiting to welcome us into heaven. What you've said is you are with us now each and every step of the way, living your life in us and through us, through your Holy Spirit. We need you because it's a battle and it matters more than we think. So I pray we would listen to you more than we are and become who we aren't right now because of your work and our participation, willingly letting you shape us to be the people you created us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.